he was the pet of some vampires. What is this, Doctor Who? Cuckoo! Cuckoo! We'll see how things develop. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's not just a gigolo anymore. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Unlike certain favorites of the king. Ooh, too soon. (laughs) Really? (laughs) No. God, you know who I feel bad for? Camilla Parker Bowles. Yeah. Like, that lady didn't do anything except mostly look like a horse. (laughs) No, it's just, that's... And just be generally very familiar with horses. I think that was part of her appeal. Oh, yeah, she was a very horsey person. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a thing. No, I know. That's a People real love horses. That's a real adjective. Uh, at any rate, uh, she just seems like she got a real like. I know she's like with Charles now, and they had to yeah. like wait like an appropriate amount of time mm-hmm. after Princess Diana died. But man, like, can you just even imagine being her for all those years? I can't imagine being anything involved with any royal family. You know, I have read the Royal We you have. by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan about. I think four or five times. You've read it multiple times. I've read it enough times that I have lost count. <laughs> yeah. And like, I just got it like two months ago. Yeah. It hasn't been that long. No. Anyway. Uh, yeah. They don't make it sound very appealing. Mm-hmm. I've rarely seen anything that made it sound appealing I to know, me. I know. And that's why I don't know why I keep reading that book. I don't know either, Kelly. <sighs> All right. Hey. <laughs> yes. This is a podcast, not just a conversation between <laughs> two married people. <laughs> About a piece of pop fiction that falls well outside of the restrictions that we have set. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, so this is back to actual Up Yours Downstairs coverage. Yeah, the first in, I don't know how many months. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, we would have switched to Mr. Selfridge back in March. Yeah. And then uh, Peaky Blinders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so a long time. Been, wow. Yeah. It was, we were rusty. We forgot how the beginning even <laughs> No, goes. I know. It was, it's been a whole thing. Anyway, okay. Look, we don't need to tell them how the sausage is made, Tom. <laughs> I suppose not. Um, yeah, so we're covering, in this episode, Upstairs, Downstairs, episode three, uh, the... Cuckoo. Cuckoo. I believe. Which one's the cuckoo? Um... I guess they kind of all are. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to keep an eye out for who the cuckoo is. <laughs> all right. There's a sad sort of clanging <laughs> in the clock in the hall and the bells in the steeple, too. Was that was that whole song like a joke about cuckoldry that the kids were too young to understand? And up in the nursery, an absurd little bird is popping out to say cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. I could keep going, but I won't. I hope not, because once the nursery gets involved, you're like, this is getting weird. No, I think it's just a cuckoo clock. I, I know. But just- why are there cuckoo clocks? Was it like to remind people not to cuckold <laughs> their spouse? Like every hour on the hour, cuckoo! Cuckoo! Oh, okay. son of a bitch. <laughs> I was just about to. <laughs> this is the last time we hook up in your nursery. <laughs> Lousy bird. <laughs> yeah, man. Bird owners. We're against it. Well, that's true. Uh, but we don't want to alienate anybody, Kelly. That's so let's true. move on. Yeah, let's move on. So, yeah. this uh, We reviewed the first two episodes at various times in all our lives together. Yeah. It was like last year, mainly. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like October 2014. Mm-hmm. And we hated it. Yeah. I hate it less now. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm not sure and either. Maybe it's just that I missed seeing really rich people. <laughs> yeah. You know, because on Downton, they're, I mean, they're still filthy rich. Oh, yeah. They're just not as filthy rich as they used to be. Um. 
Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. also Claire Foy, right. who plays Lady Percy, was so great as Anne Boleyn in Wolf Hall. Yeah, like that so That I good. feel like I now retroactively <laughs> like this more. Yeah, I think there's some truth of that. That said, uh, you know, not still a fan particularly. It's fine. Well, yeah. I'll say I'm interested enough in Lata uh-huh. and Mr. Amanjeet, like... To at least see what series two is about. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we'll have time to even really talk about it. Right, here. right. Like, I would be interested in watching it, like, you know, okay. uh, for pleasure. Right. That's what is a- that like? <laughs> to watch television for pleasure. We do it occasionally. <laughs> That's true. Actually, I do it a lot. Yeah. I mean, we just watched Kendra on We top. did just watch Kendra on top. Oh, God. Guys. <laughs> if you like reality TV, and who doesn't? Right. Kendra on top is the best reality show. It's our favorite one. Kendra and Hank are too dumb <laughs> to like know the difference between reality TV and life. Mm-hmm. Like there is no, there's, there's no, there's no artifice. Right. It right, actually right. is reality. Yeah. Certainly feels that way. Yeah. And you know, and we could be wrong, but I don't think so. I don't think so either. We've there's, watched this show a long time. We have. And I think, you know, we've gotten to know them pretty well. We really, Kendra's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting y'all know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's not the point. The no. point is, let's recap this episode. Yeah. Oh, also, just a uh, couple of programming notes, though, before we start. Mm-hmm. We're going to move Cousin of the Week to the end of the show. Yes. And share the telegrams at the end of the show. Right. If you hate that, <laughs> let us know. Please do. Um, we don't think there should be a much of a material effect on anybody, but who right. knows? Um, and secondly, uh, so we did post our hiatus schedule. Yeah. So that's on the Facebook page and also Twitter. Mm-hmm. So you can check that out if you want to keep going along with us. In yeah. two weeks, we'll be back with Ragtime. And if you missed it, it's because you're not following us. It's true. So you should. Five Maggie Smiths. Yeah. Follow us at Five Maggie Smiths and also just search Up Yours Downstairs exclamation point on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then we're also doing something new for the holidays this year. Mm-hmm. So we're going to record. Um, last year, we did 12 Days of Downton. That were just photo collages I did in Microsoft Paint. Right. Because I have skills. <laughs> and uh, this year, we're also doing 12 Days of Downton. However, mm-hmm. what we're going to do this year, we're going to do short recaps of 12 family-friendly films. Mm-hmm. And we aren't going to swear or say anything naughty. Right. Which I know is a big part of our appeal, but I promise we can work clean. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've been around kids before. I've forgotten that was part of our deal, but I'll have to remember. Maybe well, we can get a kid in the room with us just to keep us on point. I don't think we know a kid that will sit still for that <laughs> no, long. No, I don't think there are kids. No. That, yeah, if we had that. our own kids. Oh, yeah. man, what if we had a kid that was on this podcast? That'd be crazy. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um. Anyway, ideally, these are things you will be able to listen to in the car while you're driving, you know, over the river and through the woods. Right. To grandmother's house. Or whoever's house. Yeah. We're not here to judge your family. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll announce those. I'll have another cute graphic mm-hmm. uh, that I will post. Yeah. And these are all, they're uh, holiday related and starring people or at least uh, including people uh, who are we're in Downton. Yeah. And so there's 12 movies. I can't remember what all they are. Right. Uh, some of them are things that you have requested yes. over the years. So you will be excited for that. <laughs> there's no Edwardian restriction. Right. Exactly. So, you know, everybody doff their caps. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm not sure yet when, when we will be posting those. It'll be in December. Yeah. Um, but we'll figure out 
wear all the holidays fall yeah and try to be as like helpful as possible for everybody we'll see what we can do yeah uh and we're not overly concerned it'll be no it's gonna be pretty chill yeah it's gonna be netflix and chill (laughs) people have really gotten into that phrase i know like in the last week and i'm like can we stop yeah i liked better when we were all just doing that yeah (laughs) like we don't need to talk about it yeah unless we have a podcast (laughs) first rule of netflix and chill don't talk about netflix and chill yeah too late it's a good rule all right well we already broke that rule yeah just now that's true so we should uh, get started. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking up what Keely Hawes is. She plays Lady <laughs> Agnes, and I'm always like, "Who is she? What is Keely what, Hawes?" Honestly, I I can't I can't figure out what I've seen her in. Well, she was well, she was on that Mitchell and Webb look as Keely Hawes, hmm. which I think I have seen. No, I think you're right. The Vicar of Dibley, which I've never seen, but people have highly recommended. Okay. Uh, she was the voice of Lara Croft in the 2006 Tomb Raider Legend game. Nice. You like Lara Croft. I do like Lara oh, Croft. Oh, she was in Tristram Shandy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that all adds up. That's a great movie. That is a great as movie. As well. Um, just looking to see if there's... Tipping the Velvet. That's ah, the one. Okay. Yes. She played Kitty Butler in Tipping the Velvet. So okay. I guess she always plays a bitch. <laughs> that seems to be her thing that she does. Well, all right. Um, okay, great. Now that that's settled, we can discuss the show. Yes, let's do it. Uh, so Maud comes downstairs and complains to Hallam that he is naming his baby, uh, Hector. Uh, she's disappointed not because his name is a bad name, but because it's not bad enough as she wishes (laughs) the baby to be named Greville. I think it must be her late husband's name. I assume that as well, but gh. Like, just when you thought names couldn't get worse. Yeah. Just terrible. Yeah. Terrible names in this show. Yeah. Like, we've already got Hallam to deal with. Right. Right. And it's like, oh, what if it's a girl? And she's like, well, you should know then or whatever. Well, the presumption being that they should name the baby Maud. Yeah. Which actually I do like the name Maud, but without an E. Fair enough. In case anybody wants to (laughs) ship me a baby, make sure it's named Maud with no E. Somewhere somebody's crossing out an E on a name tag. (laughs) Uh, so we cut to different people around, uh, suggesting different names, including Ambrosine, which I believe was... That was, uh, Lady Agnes's mother's name. Yeah, which, good lord. Uh, somebody likes Brenda, uh, somebody likes... Yeah, Jojen Reed's sister likes Brenda. Mm, right. Uh, the cook, I think, likes biblical names. She likes how they, they sound normal when you shorten them mm-hmm. up. Uh, and she asks Pritchard what his Christian name is, and it is Warwick, which is after the town where his parents honeymooned. Which is pretty uncreative on their part. Pretty uncreative, a little gross, but I mean, it's the, it's you know, like, Ron Howard situation. Yeah. It's like, what we name baby? Baby come from Warwick. <laughs> baby called Warwick. <laughs> it's amazing that Pritchard turned out so well. Like, it's a, like a baby is already a great memorial of the time you had sex. You yeah. don't need to also name him after the time yeah, you had like, sex. Yeah, like, hey, remember that time we had sex? How could I forget? It wakes me up every hour and a half. Uh, Ivy is, that's Jojen Reed's sister. Yeah. I will probably use those names interchangeably. Yeah. We don't think we had funny names before. We don't before. think we did because we've already got Spargo. Right. And it's like, we can't, Top that. Yeah, it sort Any of took the wind right out of our sails. Set, like, no, it's <laughs> yeah. like Spargo is in the subtitles call him Harry. Yeah, like, hey. And we're like, his name is Spargo. Yeah. Ivy is jumping rope in front of Lata, who is unimpressed and uh, a, 
a touch catatonic. Yeah. And Pritchard comes out and icily complains that they are missing a fondant fancy. Ivy says it was only one, and they were both for Lotta, which is a very clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Cook is all out of sorts with her, you know, cake stand. I'm very confused at what a fondant fancy is. Yeah. I'm assuming it must be a sort of petty for. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. At any rate, Pritchard is unimpressed with this explanation. Yeah. Uh, Percy is on the phone with Ribbentrop. He asks if she's learned any new Dietrich songs. Uh, because he wants her to sing Just a Gigolo to him. Uh, but she says that he's not just a gigolo anymore. He's the ambassador. And she's surprised that he doesn't have other things to do besides calling up ladies on the telephone. And then she hangs up on him very smugly. Yes. So things are going great for Percy. This was Tinder back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Ivy makes Pritchard carry a heavy tray. And he notes that they're breaking out the fancy silver just for a nanny. But Mrs. B- it's actually Miss Buck. I told you yeah. Mrs. Buck, but it's Miss Buck. Says that this one was with the Greek royal family, and some countess or other is after her, as well as uh, Lady Holland. Holland, yeah, ha- Hallam Holland. Yeah. Let's call the whole thing. Ugh. Yeah. And then the cook complains about not getting any help downstairs, since if you've forgotten, uh, the previous maid died of asthma. Yeah. Just died. Just died of it. Yeah. They have not replaced. I found actually a recap because I was looking back to see because I listened to her. Um, uh huh. I listened to a bit of our previous podcast on this and then I wandered off. Sure. Um, but then I was reading recaps by this woman who actually is asthmatic. Yeah. She was so mad <laughs> during, uh, during that episode just because she was like, man, we're not like, this isn't how asthma works. <laughs> um, I'll see if I can post a link to that. It was called like Heroes and something. Okay. Over the blog. Anyway, it's like a romance novel blog. Sure. It's a good time. Here we go. Uh, Heroesandheartbreakers.com. Okay. Is where you can find those. Uh, so upstairs, the nanny has turned the tables and she is interviewing the Hollands. Uh, she's asking what their plans are for the delivery and uh, commenting on, you know, how things need to be set up. Uh, and she also is kind of like, she's like, oh, well, I guess you've got the floral arrangements all set in a kind of a bitchy way. Um, but Agnes explains that the fl- that the flowers are there because they are getting photographed the next day by Cecil Beaton. Is he like the Terry Richardson of the day? He appears to be. I feel like I looked him up when we watched this episode months ago. Uh-huh. And then forgot. I see. But I'm pretty sure it was like, I'm pretty sure that's like a real. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no. I mean, I, I thought it was very clear that yeah. he had to be an actual dude, historical figure. Yeah. Nanny walks through the house listing her various requirements and Lotta runs in to the nanny's dismay. Hallam says that she's being looked after by the staff and Nanny says she has impetigo, a filthy disease, which is very similar to ringworm, which is not like impetigo is not that filthy. No, uh, but and, and neither is ringworm for that matter. Yeah. Like, and let's be clear, the emphasis that the nanny puts on filthy is like, like, whoa. Yeah. Like, you know this kid's mom's dead. Yeah. I mean, obviously you don't know that. No, but like, Jesus. Yeah, a lot of don't need that. But uh, Hallam loves her. Like, yes. I, like, how did Hallam become my favorite character? Like, he's kind of ineffectual. Yeah. I, I like Maud. Well, here's the thing. I like the two of them as well, but the plot line that they get into in the yeah. tail end of this makes little sense It does times, make little and sense. And it's kind of annoying, so there's that. 
So Agnes is bummed because now the nanny is going to go straight to that countess. Well, she is a countess. Yeah, that makes like, sense. This is just a lady. Yeah, you know, like get off your high horse. Like, your son might only be a right honorable. <laughs> uh, and she didn't even get a chance to tell the nanny about the pram they're going to buy. Oh my god. Maud says that her husband had ringworm three times, twice in his face, and once in a place she doesn't want to mention. I think she said impetigo. Oh, that was probably, yeah. yeah. Um, Hallam says that they can treat it with gentian, uh, but Maud says, no, she needs to see a doctor, not for the impetigo, but for her obvious PTSD. Yes. Uh, Agnes says that she needs to be with her family, and apparently Amanjeet has begun writing to German prisons, as Hallam reminds us all that Lata's father was jailed for being a communist. Which I like, I like this moment a lot, because Hallam's like, you know, no easy trick under the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> like, just being a communist. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And if they are able to find where he is, Hallam intends to get him out of prison. Hallam walks through a door and sees a dramatically rolling marble. He and Lata stare at each other. Yeah, there's a lot of extremely dramatic setups in this episode. With very little payoff. Yeah. And then we see Spargo and Percy in bed, and Percy thinks they're being so daring, and she wants to do it in the house where they might get caught. Um, Spargo is very against this plan. <laughs> yes. Because he will lose his job. Right. Whereas Percy will just be allowed to continue running roughshod over everybody's lives. Right. Uh, but she's like, oh, don't you think it would be fun to see the look on my sister's face? And he says, no! <laughs> I don't care about your sister's face. Yeah. Except for when she's giving me my money. Right. That's what's fun, having a job. Yeah. Hallam walks into an office and some guy tells him, we've met this guy before. It's his boss. It's his but boss. I, he, honestly, you could have replaced him with like Johnny Five from Short Circuit <laughs> and like it wouldn't have made a difference. It would have been better. <laughs> you love Johnny Five. You should get a tattoo of Johnny Five. He learned how to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like you that time. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I understand his struggle. <laughs> um... So yeah, this guy, who I'll just keep calling Guy, uh, he tells him that the king... Can we call him Guy? <laughs> if you like. And eh, we'll see if I keep it up. He's pretty British. Um, the king the king has set up Mrs. Simpson in her own place. Uh, Hallam's like, well, thank the English press for their loyal silence or whatever. Uh, the guy says it's going to have to come out in the paper soon. And he gives Hallam a copy of a letter to the king from his private secretary uh, saying that the cabinet is going to be meeting with him to try to figure out how to resolve this whole crisis. Uh, and adds that they're looking into rumors that Simpson is having an affair with Ribbentrop. Uh, Hallam. Ribbentrop, Ribbentrop, <laughs> Ribbentrop, 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 Ribbentrop. Ribbentrop. Boom, 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 boom. If it wasn't so evil, it would be a good name for like a cartoon frog. I know. Or it could be a Nazi cartoon frog. <laughs> like, uh, Michigan J. Frog's German cousin. Yeah, rip and hop. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my Freilein gal. <laughs> yes. That wasn't my best German. No, that's It's all... hard to sing and do a German accent like, unless I'm doing the cabaret soundtrack. You don't need to break out your best German for your impression of that <laughs> Not, frog's like Nazi, Nazi frog. cousin. It's like Michigan J. Frog. And so what would the... Uh, like Bavaria J. Frog? Maybe. Yeah, is that a state? Yeah. I feel like there's an eviler sounding state probably in Germany. Uh, Brandenburg, Prussia, Saxony. Saxony sounds too British. Yeah. We'll work this out in post. All right. <laughs> it's not really that important, as you say. <laughs> if you're Michigan J. Frog's German cousin, what's your name? <laughs> Ribbentrop. 
Ribbon. <laughs> Ribbon. Ribbon drop. Uh, they'll tell us, but then they'll refuse to speak in anybody else's presence. It's going to be a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Hallam says that it seems pointless to worry about those rumors since there are already rumors about Wallace Simpson having uh, turned tricks in an oriental brothel and uh, being actually a man, and none of those rumors have bothered the king. Uh, Hallam says he understands that rumors won't bother him, which is why they got Ribbon Chop under surveillance so they can get proof, uh, and that might change the king's mind. I just cannot believe all of these like state resources are being diverted because of where the king's putting his dick. Yeah. Like, that is bonkers to me. It's quite bonkers. And it's like, well, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't you know. Well, we were spawned in a republic, Kelly. That's true. <laughs> Agnes goes to a desk and pulls something out, and she finds a picture of Hallam and his sister as babies. You cut to her telling Hallam that the picture wasn't even in an envelope. She's just <laughs> appalled. She's unpleasant. Yeah, she is unpleasant. As is virtually everyone on the... That's the problem with this show. Yeah. Is virtually everyone on the show is unpleasant and doesn't like anybody no, else. No, they're really unpleasant and they don't like anybody else until all of a sudden the show expects us to empathize with them for, like, no reason. Right. Like, all of a sudden we're supposed to, like, feel bad for Spargo. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I kind of do. Yeah. Because it's, like, in the villain rankings of this show, yeah. Percy is really close to the top. Yeah, definitely. Like, like Spargo... I'm still going to give Wallace Simpson the edge. Sure. But... Yeah, Spargo was like, you know what? I think I'll stop being a fascist now. Yeah. Like, that's, you got, you know. At any rate. No, but, like, they keep, like, they keep doing, like, close-ups on his face, and I'm like, I think I'm supposed to feel something. Right. But you don't even know what you feel. Yeah. No, that's, the, the direction just sometimes just feels all out of sync with. No, and it's disappointing to me because their executive producing team on this first series is two-thirds women. Mm-hmm. And then the second series, I think, was all women. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just the writing and the directing is almost all women. And I'm like, how did this happen, women? Yeah. I guess I shouldn't think that everything women do is great. That's Yeah, I mean, that's reasonable. But I just, it's so, so many parts of it are so somehow tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like they got like 82% of the way there. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I mean, the, you know, and it's it's a beautiful show to look at. I mean, yeah. it's at the height of like Deco. Yeah. And I love Deco. Yeah. And that's great, but the rest of it doesn't quite add up. Yeah, yeah. Where was I? Oh, so Hallam says that his mother doesn't like to talk about his sister Pamela, who died on the way back from India, and as that Agnes also doesn't like to talk about her, uh, but Agnes is like, I've had one of my trademark changes of heart. <laughs> Agnes wants to know uh, what kind of fever it was that uh, Pamela died of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallam doesn't remember. He just remembers crying and that she would play with wool. It was always white wool, which I think we covered in a previous episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Agnes says that the world seems full of little lives just now. She never noticed them before. And this is like a real dickish thing to say after you're talking about this child that died. Mm-hmm. She's like, Lotta makes her feel like something is circling the house, tapping at the window to get in. Yeah. I was like, what is this, Doctor Who? I mean, it might be. Yeah. He would be a pleasant addition to the staff. He, w- <laughs> <laughs> he would be. And it could all be centered around Lada, and she's like, you know, the key to something. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah. And there's this cuckoo trying to get in the house. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. <sighs> Pritchard comes down and reports on a... Comp- 
complaint about pastels that's going on upstairs where they're having the photo shoot. The cook is so excited that they have Cecil Beaton under their roof. Pritchard says that he's not uh, short on detail. He brought his own pillar. Uh, then Percy comes down and whines about the fact that she has to go get makeup and, you know, compl- like, even though this is a black and white shoot and she's mm-hmm. still got to get this right color and blah, blah, blah. We see Spargo pulling Lotta out of the car, so I guess he's decided he's definitely not a fascist anymore. Yeah. Lotta's wearing his chauffeur's hat, mm-hmm. and it is very cute. It is. He tells Percy she should have called if she wanted the car, because that's the rules. But she said Mr. Amanjeet was on the phone, and she asks why he keeps telling her the rules. He says it's because he's sick of breaking them. Yeah. And he takes his cap off of Lotta, and Percy has no comment. Yeah. She's like, well, you seem to disagree with me, but that can't be right. Hmm. Cook sneaks quietly upstairs and gazes at the setup, and a guy stops her and asks her not to move. He sees a rose out of place or something. She says that Mr. Beaton uses roses a lot, having formerly used sprays of blossoms for a while, but now he's on a rose kick. He says that she's familiar with the style, and she says yes. She has some of his pictures down uh, by her mirror. She says it helps her to keep up her standards. Uh, He hands her a rose, tilts her head, and uh, then pulls out a camera, at which point the cook finally realizes what was obvious to us all at home. Right? Like... Who did you think was going... Who did you think this person was? I have no idea. Yeah. She's like, well, just a stranger in my house, not the person who's also a stranger in my house that I already knew was here. Yeah, very This must weird. be a different one. Anyway, she realizes... It's still cute. Yeah, it's still cute. Uh, she, she realizes it's him and she has a big smile. Uh, and then she comes downstairs uh, and says that she was in her room applying Potter's liniment. But she's like, she's like floating. She's yes. so happy. She's delighted. Percy broods and smokes in the garage and well it's actually his room which is like next to the garage I think. Yeah. Also, I think I I think I and this happened a couple times that I accidentally deleted a few lines because there was also a little bit in here about her talking about he compliments her wrists. Yes. And she says that oh yes, it's just a shame they're attached to my hands and they're all, you know, you know, as an old cook's hands would uh-huh. be. And she says sometimes she wishes she could just take them off like a glove. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'll see what I can do. Well, because she says that she hears he does bits after. Right. And trims a few inches off the waist or, you know. Years off the face. I yeah, think. years yeah. off a jawline. Yeah, yeah. So he says he'll see what he can do. Yeah. Um. So that was early Photoshop. Yeah. Spargo comes into his room, which she commented earlier, like that it was like practically made of glass. The walls, and uh-huh. they, it's a really bizarre room. It is. So Spargo comes in, and she says she's always wondered what it's like to have a man come home from a public house. And Spargo says that it's not her home, and he didn't come to her. Yeah. She says that he's losing his way, not coming to fascist meetings. She goes because she has beliefs, and she even takes the bus, like because well, she has to go in secret, right. Uh, Spargo says that he's seen the results of those beliefs and he has to live with that. And she says he doesn't have to, but Spargo says she means that she doesn't have to because nothing ever touches her. She says politics aren't for people like her Mm -hmm. because everything's fine and you don't need the system to change. Right. He says that he's changed and holds open the door for her to leave, which she does in a huff. Yes. As she does most things. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So she sulks into another room and then sits on the couch, then smokes by a window, which is pretty much her go-to thing. And finally, she picks up the phone to call Ribbentrop, who is delighted to hear her voice. Uh, he's also in bed with another woman, isn't he? Yes, he is. Wallace Simpson, perhaps? Could be. The Duke of Kent drops by for a cigarette, and Hallam asks him upstairs. 
And Duke asks if he knows Eden, a newspaper publisher, and wants Hallam to invite him to dinner. Uh, he's trying to keep the press silent for a bit longer. They're still trying to figure out a way to keep Edward on the throne, despite his wandering dick syndrome. <laughs> Hallam asks if he would really renounce the throne, and Kent says the word is abdicate. And the first time he heard it, it was like an axe being pulled out of the armory. And Hallam says that his mother said it's the sort of thing that happens in Romania. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, it's just lower class. For like, mainly when I think of Romania, I think of, like, the third book in Benicula, <laughs> where, like, you find out where Benicula came from. Sure. He was the pet of some vampires. Yeah. I think it's just, she's just saying it makes us seem like some middle class royal family. <laughs> True. Kent says there's been talk as if they were an ordinary family, and Hallam points out that ordinary families don't talk much. Zing! (laughs) Kent says that newspaper guy already knows the dinner is proposed, and if he will host, and ask Jesus. I don't know what this means. Kent says that the newspaper guy has already knows that this dinner is proposed, and asks if... Uh, and he asks Hallam if he will host the dinner, and Hallam doesn't say anything, but, like, obviously he's going to. Yeah, you're the prince. Yeah, like... Also, I like the duke of kent and this whole storyline but it doesn't feel like it should be on this show <laughs> i know what you're saying it is it is sort of weird that hallam is like involved with this and like is the personal friend i mean it's not out of the question right but it just it feels really odd yeah just yeah just odd is all the rest of the show is on such a small scale yeah yeah that's true Cut to Agnes complaining about why the Duchess of Kent can't have the dinner, and Hallam says it's because the Duchess of Kent is very pregnant, and Agnes is like, are you kidding me? Yeah, she's practically, like, unable to walk downstairs, which they have a lot of. They do, yeah. Uh, So she's annoyed, and she says that when they have dinner, the Duke and Duchess, that the Duke chooses all the food and wine, and the Duchess doesn't have to lift a finger. Uh, so we cut to Maud asking Hallam why Agnes can't choose the menu. She said that she thought London loved her Dixie chicken wings. Was that a thing that she served? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the previous episodes <laughs> at all. I gotta say. I did have to tell you everybody's name. You again. did. <laughs> um, I, I remembered a bit of it as we went on, but I, I don't recall the chicken wings. <laughs> uh, Hallam says that Eden and Kent have begged him for this dinner, and if they don't do things right, that might end up with Mrs. Simpson as their queen. You know, horrors. Yeah. So Maud agrees that she will put off in another engagement to actually show up to the dinner, but she's got revisions to do, and she's not going to help with the menu. It take. I feel like Dottie Hinson. In <laughs> Come on! How long did it take to make a lineup? <laughs> like, it's a dinner. Pick yeah. some things, yeah. or just have the cook do it. Yeah. Cook's whole job right. Cook's is a- to put stuff together. Cook delicious foods. Put them on our table. Like, come on. God, end of story. Delegate. Pritchard complains to Ivy that a meat pie was missing, and Ivy blames Lotta, but Pritchard says he never saw any gravy around Lotta's mouth. Uh-huh. Amanjeet is reading a letter. Uh, he says his German is rudimentary. Yeah. I am so in love with Mr. Amanjeet. He is so cool. He is. Also, like, Sikhs always have their hair game, like, on point. Yeah. Like, whether it is up, whether it's down, I'm always like, dudes, you look hot. Yeah. And I'm not a beard person Mm -hmm. or even a long hair on guys person. Mm -hmm. Ever since I saw The English Patient, I was (laughs) like, what? Yeah. Uh, Anyway, the letter says that the it's um it's from the university where Rachel worked, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't know any relatives of Lata's mother, and he's found no trace of her father. And the cook disparages Lata's father for flirting with communists, and then opens a envelope to see her picture from Cecil Beaton. Cecil Beaton puts pictures in envelopes. <laughs> She's very delighted and tells everyone to look at her hands and how beautiful he's made them look. And it is just... It's really nice. It's a really nice picture, and just seeing her reacting to it is really... F- Anytime old ladies love something, <laughs> I just get all weepy. It's like when I watch commercials for that movie, The Intern. <laughs> Uh, the cook suggests a consomme to Hallam for the soup, says it's good and has a chestnut garnish, and Hallam is like, fine, I've never eaten food before, apparently, I don't know. Uh, he asks about the fish, she, she suggests cod, uh, and it's like some Swedish version of cod, so he's like, fine, and she asks what meat he wants, and Hallam suggests that everybody likes steak. And the cook kind of like rolls her eyes at him. Yeah. And uh, then down in the kitchen, Pritchard and Cook decide where to put her picture while Mrs. Buck complains that the menu is all brown all the way to the pudding. And the cook says that Hallam actually wants to finish with a savory. They've chosen marrow bones. Uh, Miss Buck takes that menu straight to Lady Agnes. Yes. Who is shocked by the marrow bones. She's as upset as we all are. Yeah. And replaces it with a pimento crostade and replaces the steak with pheasant and then suggests some more colorful desserts. Yeah. So Cook is telling Pritchard about how her photo shoot went, and then Buck storms down and says that if she ever has to fix up a mess like that, she'll be firing the cook. Uh, she says that Cook doesn't know her place, and this photo has caused the cook to ape her betters. Cook says Buck is the one that's aping her betters with her teapot that she thinks so much about. Here, here. Yeah, but Buck's like, that teapot represents all my years of service, and the cook says that it was just a dumb teapot that they were going to throw out if they didn't give to her. Buck says that this photograph is, like, somehow going to corrupt the other servants in some way. All one and a half of them? (laughs) Right. Their hordes of servants are going to be rambunctious. So, Ivy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think she's already been pretty corrupted. Yeah. Like, Ivy's Ivy's beyond repair. Yeah. She's crying right now somewhere. Anyway, she takes the photo, and it looks like she's actually about to throw it in the fire. I gasped. Yeah. And I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't remember. No, and it's like it seemed like she really might. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, she just says that she's going to confiscate it. Uh, so the cook grumpily asks Pritchard to tell Buck that she's retiring to the kitchen, and Pritchard sighs because, once you know, this is something he's dealt with before. <laughs> At dinner, they discuss Maud's monkey, who thankfully is not there. Yeah. Uh, Maud says that the monkey doesn't do any tricks, unlike certain favorites of the king. Ha ha! Yeah. Except nobody laughs. That is an awkward pause. They discuss the king's current trip to Wales, including an arch of unlit Davy lamps held like by jobless miners, which is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, Kent says the king's remarks on unemployment were well received. Something must be done. And Maude is unimpressed. Yeah. Because she's like, about what? Like, that is a vague ass statement. Yeah. She says that they need to talk about the press silence because it hasn't been mentioned and they're almost done with the pheasant. Yeah. Downstairs, Pritchard says that whenever he's in there, it's so silent, you know, you can cut it with a knife or whatever. Uh, and then he has Ivy to carry something up, but she has just walked out the door. Pritchard follows her out the door and sees her giving food to Johnny, who we sort of remember. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he stabbed that guy in the neck yeah. with a piece of glass right. and went to jail. Yes. Uh, so he uh, is apparently out of Borstal. Uh, Pritchard says that he, he's not having this dishing out cold foods to vagrants. She can dish out hot food. Hey! Yeah. Everybody's friends again. <laughs> 
As Johnny eats, Spargo asks about Borstal, and Johnny says it was all right, not that different from working in the house. Yeah. You know, up at dawn. Uh, but, yeah, spot on time meals. Yeah. He really doesn't seem to have minded it. Spargo asks what he'll do now, and Johnny doesn't know. Spargo is just going home to his village, but Johnny is uninterested. He calls it the pit. Yeah. And we're like, okay, uh, good luck. Yeah. At dinner, Eden says that Parliament has made it clear that the king must choose between Wallace Simpson or the throne, and Wallace Simpson has told him that she is well aware of the situation. There's like a pause, and Kent's like, so you mean you've spoken to her? And he says, yes, she has invited him to luncheon uh, to discuss the public response of her unveiling, which she is projecting will be in all of Eden's papers. He says that she loves the king, and the king insists that they get married, but she's not particularly interested in the throne. So Maud suggests that they have a morganatic marriage, which is a situation where you have a marriage that is legal and, like, by the laws of the church, you're legally married, but doesn't count as being queen, essentially. Uh, Louis XIV had one with his uh, last mistress because, basically, because she was, she wasn't a commoner, but she was pretty low rank, um, so wouldn't have you know, been politically cool for him to marry her. Uh, but he did marry her. He had a priest and everything. <laughs> he did. Well, she was super Catholic. That was the whole thing. Uh. So she would still get a lesser title. Hallam suggests perhaps the Duchess of Lancaster. Kent thinks that that might satisfy her magpie mind. Well, mainly the coronet right. that comes with it. Here's my question. I don't understand how titles are assigned. Right. Because like when you, you know raise someone to a new title does the person who had it before go away i think part of what it is is that over the years there's a whole bunch of titles that have just become like property of the royal family oh so it's like you know like the crown is duke or duchess of lancaster and all these other things Uh and can then just decide to loan out one of those titles if they want interesting that's i think that's correct i could be wrong this came up in the royal we but they didn't Uh, explain why yeah Eden asks if the king would agree to this, and Kent says that compromise has never been his strong point, but he's certain that Wallace would consider it. Maud suggests that Eden put it to Miss Simpson and Mrs. Simpson, and says that Wallace was spawned in a republic, and thus explaining the finer points to her might take, oh, let's say a week, which is the amount of time they were looking to buy, uh, during which Kent suggests that Eden wouldn't want to leak the story, since she's his confidant and all. Johnny puts on a coat and Buck gives him five bob. He says they don't charge at the hostel. And everybody's like, just take the money. Right. And Pritchard says to use it for bus fare. Uh, the bell for the dining room rings. Johnny heads out. And Pritchard says he isn't happy about this at all. All right. Hallam's reading the paper. Uh, they're still not reporting the story about Wallace Simpson. Agnes says... That the doctor said that, I think Gascoigne, I think was his yes, name. Yes, Gascoigne. Although she calls him Mr. Gascoigne and not Dr. Gascoigne. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about. Me neither. Uh, but he says that their baby is going to be, looks like it'll be coming around Christmas and that he's going to put her to sleep and use forceps. Uh, and also that her age is more of a, a hindrance than a help at this point. Hallam asks, well, she says put her to sleep and use for, forceps. And Hallam says, isn't that good? It's like... <laughs> I, you know what? People... We still haven't really figured out childbirth, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. we keep trying to make it better, but you kind of can't make a football-sized head coming out of you better. Yeah, that seems to be the case so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all disturbing. 
Uh, anyway, she says that the doctor's nurse is going to be coming by next week to medicalize the bedroom. Helen puts his hand on Agnes's pregnant stomach as she sleeps. Hey, when I get pregnant, don't do that. Okay. It's going to bug me. All right. Maybe. Well, we'll see how things develop. Then he looks at the picture of his sister, and then he hears Lotta screaming. She's in the hall outside their room, and he runs to her as Ivy runs down, apologizing, saying, you know, she never heard her wake up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hallam asks if this has happened before. Pritchard says yes, but she usually stays on the servant's floor. Agnes coldly mentions that the child has made a puddle on the carpet, and she's not sure she can bear it. Yeah. Like, you're a monster. Yeah. Like, your whole family sucks. Yeah. What do you mean you can't bear it? Ivy's the one that has to clean the carpet. Yeah, Ivy says they are bearing it, and Maud tells her to show Hallam where to take her, and Maud tells Hallam to be quiet and not disturb her further. They all head off, and Maud gives Agnes a look. Yeah, rightly so. At breakfast, Hallam says he'd been hoping to send Lotta to boarding school, but Maud says she needs specialist medical care. She cannot have a future if she doesn't speak. She asks if she can start calling doctors, but Hallam is like, no, this is I took her in. I must be the one to fix this for some reason. Uh, but Maud points out that he is needed at Whitehall, and Agnes is preoccupied. You mean a gigantic bitch? That is what she meant. Uh, so uh, she says that she could start by getting Lada's throat examined, which Ivy overhears. Yes. So I don't get this family because anytime there's something to do, everybody's like, I can't do it. Yeah. But then when there's something that somebody else is like, oh, I'll do that for you. They're like, no, I must do it. Like, make up your minds. Yeah. They are weird that way. Choose what things to do. Yeah. Like, this shouldn't be that hard of a decision, like, discussion to have. Uh, downstairs, Ivy is crying. So I guess she gave Lata some salt water. And she only wanted Lata to gargle with it because gargling right. is good for a sore throat. So it's not clear what happened. Like to I guess Lata. she just drank it and like didn't like it or got sick. I guess so. Yeah, this is a little underexplained. Cook walks by with Lata and says that Buck ought to punish Ivy. Ivy just keeps crying and says Agnes will put Lata in an orphanage. Pritchard says Lata has a family. Uh but Ivy says that they, the staff, are her family. She says she bunks in with me. She eats hardly nothing. And Pritchard corrects her syntax. She says she doesn't care in the Queen's English or, what did she say, the real way? Yeah, or like, or, or the like normal way? human. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't want Lada being put anywhere like the cottage home she was put in. And this is, for as much as it's underexplained, yeah. Jojen Reed's sister does a really good job here. Agreed. Ribbentrop arrives at the house and sits with Percy, uh, who's describing what it's like to be brought up in a thousand-year-old castle. She's a guinnet. Um, he says that she sounds like a socialist, but she says, no, she's looked into socialism, uh, but it sounds like a bad deal to her. She's a national socialist. <laughs> Joe Kim, or how did we... Pre- I, I don't even know. And I just heard him it say was like, it. like, Hawking. 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 Yoakim? Yeah, so Ribbentrop's first name. Yeah, it's from the Bible. It's one of those, uh, you know, I don't know why they call him Joe or something. <laughs> Good old Joe Ribbentrop. <laughs> I'd like to get a beer with that guy. <laughs> uh, they discuss Mosley, uh, but Percy says that he is done. He doesn't even have a seat in Parliament anymore and is practically outlawed since the events on Cable Street. Ribbentrop says that Mosley still has friends, but Percy says they're not in London, so they don't matter. Yep. Uh, and she asks uh, Ribbentrop, she's like, so how's Germany? 
Hallam stands with that guy in his office and they're looking at the headlines about Wallace Simpson. He says they did their best and uh, MI5 did uncover trysts between Wallace and a used car salesman, <laughs> but not Ribbentrop. So the king will not be told. Yeah. That's- uh, isn't that worse? You would think, well, it's not a matter of national security. Yeah. And I think it's also not clear, if I remember from years ago reading a Wikipedia article, I think the trysts with the used car salesman while outside of legal marriage were also before her relationship with the king. Okay. So I think that's all they found. Okay. But I could be wrong about that. Well, anyway, they did find some info about Ribbentrop and they'll get the report to Hallam. Yes. Which is uh, ominous. We should all remember. Downstairs, the servants are discussing the news about the king. Uh, Pritchard says it's all vulgar conjecture, uh, and he doesn't know why people are getting so worked up about it. And Buck says that, oh, everybody feels like they're personally involved, but they aren't. Cook says that she has put canapes in that person's mouth, so she feels that she is personally involved. I like Cook. Yeah, me too. Her name is actually Mrs. Thackeray. Yes, but Cook is easier to type. (laughs) Uh, Spargo goes to put on the wireless, but Buck angrily, as she says everything, angrily tells him to uh, take it upstairs because the family's wireless is broken. Pritchard opens the door, and it's Maud who sends Amanjeet off with Lotta. She tells Agnes that Lotta's loss of voice is all in her mind, and she'll need to see a psychiatrist. Agnes says she doesn't know what to do. Maud says to give Lotta an ordinary day, and Maud will make the arrangements. Yeah. So it's, I realized in the course of the scene, oh, she doesn't mean just like see a psychiatrist. She means like go off to live with psychiatrists. Yes. And Cook stirs honey in Lotta's tea and says honey. And she and Amanjit, the Amanjit tried to get her to say honey, but she won't. And like Amanjit in particular is like starting to unravel a yeah. little bit here. Yeah. Agnes talks to Lotta as they work on a jigsaw puzzle while Percy broods and smokes as usual. Uh, she says, Agnes says that her mother died when her sister was born, and Percy says, that's me, kid. I'm like, oh my god, did this suddenly become a 1930s screwball comedy? <laughs> I hope not, because it's got no likable protagonists. <laughs> Much like it happened one night. You got that, right? Sister? I don't know what they would say in those comedies, really. I mean, they would say kid. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Agnes says that she remembers being so upset and she would have to run off into the woods to scream where nobody could see her and she would scream without using words uh, because there's nothing that one can say when one loses their mother. Lotta hands Agnes some pieces of Sky, and Agnes compliments them and Percy suddenly flips out and like knocks the jigsaw puzzle pieces out of Agnes's hands and says to spare the child and herself and storms out. I don't even understand what she's upset about. Yeah. Are you mad because you killed your mother? Like what? Yeah. It just was like bizarre. Yeah. Very weird. Maud tells Amanjeet that she's taking Lotta to the doctor. I always forget that Amanjeet works for her, uh-huh. even though it comes up many times <laughs> it does. in this episode. <laughs> well, just he spends so much time downstairs right, now right. that I forgot. Yeah. Uh, Amanjit wants to go with her, but Maud says that there's already too much of a circus going on with the king and Lotta because that's right freaking important. Yeah, those are two related things. Amanjeet says he's concerned for Lotta. And Maud said she is too, which is why she has arranged the treatment. Amanjeet asks if Lata will ever come back, and Maud says if she doesn't recover, she can't come back. Which, you know, but my question is, can't she? Yeah, like she can, she's, you know, <laughs> like she's not fun or anything, but <laughs> right. she's not in any danger of dying. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Amanjeet types Lata a letter. 
saying that, you know, your name is uh, Carlotta, whatever, Perlmutter. Uh, your parents' names are this. You were born in Germany at this time. You arrived here. Just all the things that he knows about her uh-huh. for her to, you know, have. And if she ever gets <laughs> the ability to process all that. Um, this is all over a montage of the, the servants doing various things, uh, including Ivy and Buck are packing a suitcase for Lata. Ivy suggests packing a nightdress that she originally had because it smelled like... Rachel. Rachel, right. Uh, but she says it doesn't smell like anything anymore, which means it probably smells like me, so mm-hmm. Lata might like that. Uh, and Buck says that that is fine. Or, you know, she smiles, which yeah. she doesn't do much. And then Amanjeet wraps up the letter as Ivy closes the suitcase. We see Agnes watching out the window as Lata and Maude get into the car, and Lata looks back at the servants, who are waving goodbye. Guy tosses a folder onto Hallam's desk and yells that Ribbentrop has been to his house repeatedly. Hallam says Ribbentrop's never been to his house except for that one cocktail party, which was an accident. Right. Uh, Guy says that he was there until 3 a.m. the previous weekend and asks who he could have been visiting if not Hallam. Hallam says he'll find out, and then the guy says they already have... And I was like, then why did yeah. you go through this whole thing? No, like, why did you make it think, look, yeah. yeah. Anyway, he says it was Percy and tells Hallam to put his house in order. Yeah, which is unlikely to happen. Yeah, yeah. he comes home and asks where Percy is. Buck says she has a dinner engagement and told him not to wait up. Yeah. So great. Yeah, so house not He's like, is order. it with Ribbentrop? Because she's not supposed to hang out with that guy anymore. <laughs> I just found out. So Hallam complains to Agnes that she has lost track of her sister, plus she let Lotta get taken away, which makes it sound like she was stolen by gypsies. Agnes says that she's been preoccupied, again, meaning a gigantic bitch, <laughs> <laughs> and that anyway, Lotta is in a reputable clinic that Maud found through her charitable connections. And Maud said it was best to just get it done and not to make a fuss. Hallam can't believe that she would let Maud run the whole show, and Agnes says that she runs everything else, and anyway, Hallam told her that she could always trust Maud's judgment, which is an absolutely fair point. Yeah, well, and it's not like Hallam was doing anything, yeah. except fucking picking up marbles. <laughs> Downstairs, Hallam is now angry that Spargo and Amanjeet left Maud and a vulnerable child at the railway station. Yeah. People take the train, dude. Yeah. Like, that's how they get places. Right. Moreover, your mother has traveled the entire world <laughs> yeah. by boat yeah, with you, a vulnerable child. And a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Spargo says that, you know, Maude insisted, and you know how she is when she insists on things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amanjeet says that even he is not permitted to know everything because mm-hmm. Hallam thinks they must know where they are. And they're like, we don't know, man. Yeah. Helm hears the doorbell, goes up, and Maud has come in, and uh, he accuses her of acting without his permission. And she says that she acted in everyone's best interest, and she doesn't need his permission to do that. And then she walks up the stairs real slowly like a boss, because she gives zero fucks. That is correct. So we see Hallam going through Maud's desk, and Amanjeet is also in the room. He says that he wants to find every address in Berkshire, uh, even if it doesn't look like a clinic, and anything that might have the word doctor on it. He wants it, he wants it all. Uh, Amanjeet says that he respects Maud's privacy, but Hallam is like, well, hop to it. And Amanjeet says that he won't unless Hallam threatens him. And uh, Hallam's like, uh, no, I'm not threatening you. I'm threatening her. I will not let her get away with this. What are you threatening her with? Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's she not... didn't even ask you if you could move in. Right. That's That wasn't a threat. Like, do you know what a threat is? It's all very confusing. Yeah. Uh, Hallam apparently... 
discovered this information very quickly. Yeah. Because the next thing we see, he arrives at this big house and somebody comes in and he asks to see, uh, the, the girl that his mother brought. And the, okay. he shows his card and the woman is like, Oh, you know, sir Hallam, this is great. Yeah. He's like, it's room nine at the top of the stairs. It's all very fancy and clean and bright. He dramatically walks into a room and finds some yarn. That's right. And this yarn is lit and staged and presented more dramatically than like the idol at the beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh, so he follows the yarn and in a room he sees a bunch of pictures which have him in it. Yeah. Uh, and he looks at the yarn again and then looks at a woman standing with her back to him. Did she know that he was coming and like staged this? Apparently, like it... It it seems to be that way. Well, it turns out it's Pamela, mm-hmm. uh, who is not dead. Very much alive. He says he's her brother, and she says she knows he is. He sits by her and gazes at her face. He's kind of got one hand on her shoulder. She's got her hand on his. Mm-hmm. And then the nurse runs in with Lata and apologizes for the confusion, but Hallam says, no, there's been no confusion. And I'm like, you can be happy, but there's definitely been some confusion. <laughs> right. So back home, Hallam pounds on Maud's door and demands to speak to her. Amanjeet comes out and tells him to leave her be. Uh, Percy comes by and says uh, that Agnes is still upset, but Percy said that all the best families have a monster in the attic. And Hallam's like, you're the monster. Which is weird because she hasn't even, I feel like she hasn't even begun to monster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, she got him in trouble at his work. Ah, uh, that's true. Uh, Percy says that, well, if she is, she's hardly in the attic, and soon she'll be out of the house entirely. She's going to listen to the king's speech in the German embassy, and then she's leaving for Berlin. Well, uh, you know, they've got fascist con going on there. (laughs) All the time. That's right. Springtime for Hitler. Uh, she hands him a box to give to Agnes, which that was meaningful from before. I think that was the diamond star that, uh, was given to... Agnes for Percy by Maud. Right. Because Agnes's family lost all their jewels. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Hallam heads upstairs and then Spargo walks in and Percy directs him to her suitcases. She asks if they have anything to say to each other. Spargo says that he doesn't know what she means, you know, my lady or whatever. And Percy's like, well, great. And heads out. So again, <laughs> this is the moment where like, I guess, do we have feelings about this? Like, do they? Right. It's very weird. Like, how dramatic is this moment? Like, the only thing you guys liked was fascism. Right. Like, this is just a situation where you bonded over something that you both liked, and now one of you doesn't like it anymore. Yeah. It's not you. It's fascism. (laughs) Hallam sits down with some whiskey and turns on the wireless. Agnes is sponging off her neck and chest, uh, and then goes to the door, but suddenly has to sit down. There yeah. seems to be some doings and transpiring with that baby. Mm-hmm. That baby's on the move. There's a knock on Hallam's door, and Buck asks if the servants can come in and listen, because as we recall, the servants' wireless has been moved upstairs for the family, which right. is real. Get a new wireless. I know. You're rich. Well, one of the plot points in the first episode is that Hallam is very cheap. Well, okay. So Helen's like, yeah, whatever, come on in. And it's interesting, like they're like this is like ten years after where we are in Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. and the barriers between upstairs and downstairs are so permeable. Yeah, yeah. Versus definitely, yeah. And I think that probably, I mean, I would imagine too that that's you know ten years plus London versus the countryside. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it is very noticeable. 
Agnes is moaning on the bathroom floor. She rings the bell, but the basement is empty. See, should have gotten a different wireless, mm-hmm. then they'd all be where they're supposed to be. That's right. The servants are various degrees of invested in listening to the king, uh, which is actually Prince Edward, right? Well, no, 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 no. This is this is this is Edward the Eighth. Okay, giving the speech in which he is announcing. He called himself Prince Edward, I thought, or somebody did. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. Uh, whatever. He's abdicating. Yeah. Uh, Maud hears Agnes's pain and Agnes why she came <laughs> and she says she needs someone to send for the doctor and Maud says that it's too late and she helps her to sit by the bathtub and tells her not to look uh, what'd she say it's a memory you will not wish to remember or something like that yeah a sight you won't want to remember yeah, yeah. the servants are still listening until Pritchard can't take it anymore and walks out yeah and he hears the noises and he asks if he can be of assistance. Maud says yes. Pritchard says he was on the ambulances in the war and blood actually calms him down. Yeah. Uh, he washes his hands and says all will be well and he sits down and asks Maud to fetch the implements from the master bedroom. And the baby is born, so yeah. I guess you don't need the implements. No, I know. And Pritchard says it's a little boy. Yeah. And, you know, Pritchard does a great job and he had like a whole... I love a hyper-competent English butler. Yeah. All, all the reassuring patter ready to go. He helped him out. I do feel like it would have been worth going ahead and giving the doctor a call. Yeah. But, but well he sounded like a real dick anyway. Well yeah, that's true. So Yeah, good point. And now they don't have to pay him. Yeah. <laughs> so cut to Agnes holding the baby. She says the baby reminds her of Percy, who she remembers holding as a baby and promising to always take care of her. Helen says that Percy can take care of herself now. And if not I'm sure the Nazi party will do their bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he says that the day has been full of unimaginable things. Downstairs, Buck announces the baby's weight and name, Hector Greville Holland. So yeah. we've gone from bad <laughs> to slightly more bad. Yeah. They all think it's terrible. Amanjeet says it's dignified. <laughs> yeah. And Cook says they're not naming it after Pritchard then. Spargo says that Pritchard should be getting a Christmas bonus. Which uh, I, w- I would think so, yes. Yeah. Pritchard says it wasn't a complicated delivery. A policeman would have done it for a cigar, which I take exception to. Right. I don't agree with you. Yeah. There's also, it's just. No. Yeah. Don't, don't trade obstetrics for cigars, people. Yeah. That's not how, like, unless it's like a post-apocalyptic situation. Yeah. And we're like out of tobacco. No, that's a good point. Uh, and then we see Johnny looming outside the door, uh, and Pritchard says that he is going to be asking Hallam for a favor. Which is good. Yeah. Kent is on the phone crying to Hallam, and he says, you know, Edward left, and Kent doesn't know where to start forgiving him. <laughs> like, this is the part where I was really, I don't want to see the king crying. Yeah. This is not what I'm about. Not even my king. Uh, Hallam says that, you know, he can't forgive him. He was a real dick. Yeah. <laughs> but Kent says there's no choice because the love doesn't stop and it's unbearable. And it's weird. It is very weird. And I'm like, you know, I don't think you need to, f- like, worry about forgiving him right now. Yeah. You can just be pissed at him and angry at having to be king. Like, yeah. that's fine. Maud tells Hallam that this was what people did, was send children off to England so that they didn't, you know, die in India. And she says that every bungalow had a picture uh, in prominent places of their children who were off at school. She says that Hallam was easy to be proud of, and they thought they'd be proud of Pamela, too. Uh, and it took them a while to realize that she was different and to accept that she must be put away. And, you know, nobody here seems to disagree with the fact that she must be put mm-hmm. away. That seems to be accepted. Even though she seems extraordinarily functional. Yeah. 
Like, I mean, you know, it's varying degrees when somebody has Down syndrome, right. like how much they can have an independent life. Right. But she's got her shit together. She seems She's to. got her shit together better than Hallam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, granted, we only saw her for like 10 seconds. That's true. But it does. Yeah. But they're well, all. We see her again later. And she's like, you know, she's like telling Lata what's what later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like she's got her. She's got it. Yeah. Pamela has got it going on. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, that's that's fine. I keep having that song in my head. <laughs> Hallam asks if Maud lied to his father as well, and she says no. They always did the big things together. He asks why she didn't tell him, and she says that she knew that he loved Pamela and would continue to, and that that kind of devotion would be agony to him, and she thought that he should be spared. So this is where this storyline kind of goes off the rails for us. Yeah. Because... I don't have a problem with it in general, except for the fact that knowing as we do later, you know, that Pamela can function Mm -hmm. with other people. Yeah. Why at an appropriate age. Right. He was. I mean, look, I don't know that I agree with the choice to tell him that she was dead. Yeah. But I don't necessarily disagree with it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was a hard situation to cope with. Presumably he might have already been off at school mm-hmm. when this happened. So it's not just having to tell him that she is, you know, that she has, you know, this disability or. Right. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess the issue is that apparently they had no plans and possibly never actually visited her, you know, like that's, and that's the thing. Like, basically it seems to me that their attitude must've been that he could never see her again either way. Yeah. You know, which is crazy to me. But they had to have visited. Like, she has all those pictures no, that's and true. stuff. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, like, when he showed up, for that nurse to not be at all flummoxed by him being there. Right. Anyway. they See, again, they got it 82% right. Yeah. And then it was just like they half-assed it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Look, we're all happy that Pamela's not dead. Oh, sure. Cook is replacing their picture of the king yes. with the new king's picture. She says she supposes he's a respectable sort. He's the Duke of Kent. Look, you know, <laughs> it's been a tough week for everybody, Tom. Well, royalists in particular. Uh, Johnny comes down in his horrible hallboy uniform. Yeah, this thing is ugly. It's the worst. Yeah. It would definitely win the backy. Yeah. Were we doing that for this show? Mm-hmm. Buck asks the cook if they should treat themselves and get out her teapot, and Cook says she thought she got rid of it, but Buck says she just hid it from her since they were in a fight. She hands over the beaten photo and tells her to go ahead and put it on the mantelpiece, which she does. Then over tea, Cook says names are funny. She's never liked her given name, but she misses it now. Her real name is Clarice, and Buck's name is Rose, and I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) I don't give a buck. (laughs) Fun fact, we don't care. (laughs) Lata opens up a present, uh, so it's Christmas and she's talking now. Ah, well, and this is where she's like, you know, uh, what is it? Or something like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, Pamela's like, oh, it's a new school uniform. I'm like, she knows what school uniforms are. Yeah. Like, fuck you, Maud. Agreed. Yeah. But look, she's at least part of the family's life now. Right. And Here we presumably are. we'll do cool things in series two. Yeah. Uh, so... Lotta, yeah, she's talking now. She thanks Hallam for the present. 
it's not really much of a present if it's just your school uniform. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess her entire life is a present from them at yeah, this like, point. Like, if you want to get really technical about it. If you're a refugee, I think yeah. your bar for presents gets much lower. <laughs> oh, it's a certificate that says I won't be taken off to prison. That's a good present. Yeah. I would be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Pritchard leads Lata down to the servants who are all gathered in the front hall. Uh, Johnny puts a star on the tree. Buck asks if everything is as they wish, and Hallam says it is. Uh, dramatic lighting, camera angles, music, etc. It's like a whole big finale thing. Buck looks happily out the window and then closes the curtain. Crane shot pulls back. Roll credits. It's uh, it's it's a whole thing, and it's just I don't know. Well, I mean, partly to, in this show's defense, watching episode three months after one and two not necessarily the most favorable environment to be viewing it yeah probably not but it's just you know i'm like okay like i guess you seem like you think you did something right but you didn't actually do anything yeah that's it's like uh it's like at the end of uh that uh musical on mr show jeepers creepers semi-star <laughs> when they're like reading the big book of musical flops yeah and mary lynn raskjob is like but it wasn't funny <laughs> uh that's how i feel yeah about this at this point no, i think you're on there's not there. even any hippie pie <laughs> so yeah so we did it yeah we won't do season two it doesn't look that way so please don't ask yeah we're not gonna do it yeah this like, was you know i didn't mind recapping it per se it just always felt it always felt like work, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, which it, that's podcasting to an extent, but usually there's you know, less. If you of, love it, like no harm, no foul. Yeah, it just wasn't quite our cup of tea. Yeah, like it wasn't Titanic, Blood and Steel, or like oh Julian Hall's Titanic, or something that like that. Sense. Yeah, like and it, it was wasn't blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was better than Titanic, Blood and Steel. Not a high bar to clear. No, but uh, yeah, hopefully people got something out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we, cause we did it. So uh, yeah, yeah, we're all here still. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So now it's time for cousin of the week. Ooh. This telegram comes from cousin Laura. Hello, cousins. As I wait out this stressful first week of college, hoping to get into my selected courses by attending the class and adding late codes because it's 2015 and I still have to wait in lines because computers can't register me as a junior because of reasons. <laughs> I have been firing up Sims 3 this past week whilst listening to your various podcasts. I have no social life outside internet. <laughs> and then you said you were in a bit of a dry spell, like this weather in California. Am I right? <laughs> it's funny because it's depressing. <laughs> Bit of a dry spell of letters. Fear not, cousins. In your family meeting of Peaky Blinders podcast, August 23rd, you talked about how Rose was really the only known flapper on Downton Abbey. But even then, she didn't become an androgynous flapper like we see in one scene at the jazz club. I started to do some thinking. And what I mean thinking. I mean that I listened to the podcast today for the second time as I walked to a professor's office in which he was not there and it hit me. Rose has become whitewashed by Julian Fellows and name from being a flapper to just being a teenage girl who was experimenting with the new age, banging a married man and having flirtatious romance with a <gasps> gasp black man until she started helping with rich slash not rich Russians and settled down with the Jewish bloke. Now, Mary, on the other hand, that's the new it girl. The first step she took besides killing a Turk was cutting her hair. Her hair! That was such a radical thing to do way back then, to cut it so short that you couldn't even really style it, unless you do one of those finger curls that Edith did at some point before she became sad again and dragged on 
sentences. <laughs> but Mary is already out of her teen years and she is not married. She is over Matthew, I think. So she is being all like, this is the new me deal. Of course, I think part of it is a ploy to get that man for next season, also competing with Mabel Lane Fox, showing how she so can be new Asian hip with the kids. And also, she did the whole riding with the boys on horseback. So one look at Lady Mary with her short hair, riding in a horse race, but still going side saddle because she doesn't want to give Granny a heart attack. Now that's the beginning of a new age flapper, upper class version at least, if I ever saw one. Now all we need is her to get that haunted gramophone out and play some jazzy jazz tunes with emphasis on the jazzy part. But anyway, this long letter is to argue that Lady Mary is becoming the new flapper of the household, even if she is doing it slowly and doesn't want to admit it to herself. But her hair, hair. Anyway, cousin Laura S. of the Bay Area, not to be confused with the other Laura, Lady Lushington, I believe. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. I think that's an interesting perspective on Mary. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, I would say I wouldn't call her a flapper because there are very specific flapper behaviors that she doesn't do. Right. No, but, but I, I mean, I, she's definitely taking the new age to heart. Yeah. In a way that, you know, Rose hasn't necessarily. Right. I mean, she's moved to, you know, America or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, she's, she's, she's taking on, well, you know, that's how it is. The actual flappers do their thing and then the upper class dressmakers and stylists, you know, pull whatever they want from that. And, yeah. You know make the rich people version of it yeah they sell it at h&m <laughs> uh yeah so if you would like to send us a telegram you can reach us at up downstairs at gmail.com feel free to write with your uh, speculations and expectations for series six the very last series of mm-hmm. downton abbey which we are covering with instant takes as it airs in the uk we won't obviously have any spoilers or anything on this podcast about it right until it airs in the U.S. Yeah. Then there'll be plenty of spoilers. Oh, all the spoilers. They'll be very uh, detailed. Yes. But if you have thoughts or things you'd like to see, uh, throw them our way and we'll share them with the rest of the cousins. And all right. I think we made it. I think we did. It's It's been a while. We're a little bit wonky, but I think we'll get back in the groove. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Get into the groove. <laughs> all right. Uh, until next time. Up, up yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. Mm-hmm.